Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. Today, we are going to talk about the transition from pediatric care to adult care. And I think many of us will appreciate that this is a challenging transition, and it would be lovely to have some resources and knowledge to help us ease this change for our patients. So today we are very fortunate to have our guest, Dr. Karen Winston, and she is a pediatric endocrinologist. She did her pediatrics residency in London, Ontario, and then endocrinology training in Calgary before starting a practice in general community pediatric endocrinology seeing patients with a wide variety of endocrine issues. She does research in the area of young adults with type one diabetes, and this is also her primary diabetes practice. And her diabetes patients are largely in their late teens and early twenties. So very representative of this population we're talking about today. She is also the medical director for Camp Jean Nelson, the Alberta summer camp for children with type 1 diabetes, and is excited that we'll be welcoming back campers in person this year after a COVID hiatus. She's the proud mother of two young adults and takes full advantage of those personal experiences to help her stay relevant to her patient population. So welcome, Karen, to our podcast. Thank you very much. I'm um, honored to be asked to join you. It's our pleasure to have you here today. And to start off our conversation, I'm going to hand it over to Gail, and she's going to give us an example of a case that she might have experienced where this transition was a challenge. Well, I'm delighted to be here today, and thank you, Karen, for joining us, because this is a very difficult topic, I find, in our adult center. So I I have a patient. I've changed her name for confidentiality purposes, and we're going to call her Carrie. (laughs) I hope you've got some ideas how to work with her. Carrie's an 18-year-old girl, and she's been attending university um, this year, the first time, and she's having the time of her life, but she has a few problems. She's had type 1 diabetes for seven years, and you know, up until now, things seem to be pretty easygoing with her, and that she didn't really seem to have any problems. Now, she transitioned from the pediatric clinic last year to our adult clinic, and we did see her once with her mom. We had an interesting conversation, seemed to to relate, and then uh, we made an appointment for her to come back um, by herself. Well, she canceled the next two appointments. I think you've heard this before, have you? And uh, the next time we saw her, unfortunately, she was in diabetic ketoacidosis in our hospital. So we chatted with her and she said, no, she's doing okay. This is, she was out with some friends, not entirely sure how this happened, uh, but she's, you know, wanted to come back and, and set up the appointment. And so we set up another appointment. And before she could actually come to that appointment, she was in DKA again. So this time we sat, we took our social worker in with us and said, okay, Carrie, what's really happening? And Carrie opened up and said, you know, she's just having a really difficult time working and living with her diabetes. And she feels that she's not very well supported. And she said, you know, I had my mom there and my mom was doing a lot with me. And she says, I feel really alone right now. I know I don't want her doing everything for me, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing at this point in time. 
so when I heard this, I was thinking, you know, did we fail her some way in our care in transitioning? So my question, Karen, are what does this transition look like? What would a really good transition program look like? What could have we done a little bit differently? Um, and, and what are should be the priorities for Carrie right now? And, and please, where can we go with her? Thanks so much, Gail. Um, I wish I could say that I haven't had any patients like that, but for sure it's not an uncommon scenario that I'm seeing. Um, one of the challenges of dealing with folks with type 1 is as I'm sure you know, not everybody is the same. It doesn't look the same for everyone. So we have some young adults who transition seamlessly. There's no issues. Everything is great. They did great before. They did great afterwards. Um, there are some people who have been sort of train wrecks all along, and they continue to be train wrecks as they move into adulthood. And then we have this group of folks who are kind of like what you've described, who seem to be doing pretty well. And then it feels like the wheels fall off as they move away from home, or they move into that next stage of their life. And uh, I think those are probably the ones that are challenging because we don't know who they are. We can't identify them before they turn into adults because we've got this large group of kids who's doing well and we don't know who's gonna be the young adults who are maybe struggling more as they get through. So I think it is a fairly common um, scenario that we see a common patient case. Um, it's just hard for us to know how to anticipate them and that concept of how to support them better. One of the things that I've seen a lot with young adults is people feeling like they're very prepared. And so if you had asked them before they transition, is there anything they're expecting to be a challenge? No, I got it, everything's great. I've got everything under control. Um, and then they get out and things are a lot harder than they thought. And it's um, that phrase that I use a lot, my kids use a lot, adulting is hard. You think it's gonna be easy to get out there and um, do all those grown-up things and they sound really exciting and all that independence sounds really exciting and then the responsibility kind of comes back and you realize it's not not as easy or as fun as you thought it was going to be. Um, so there's some things that uh, also just might be helpful to keep in mind when it comes to these other young adults uh, and the variability in them is partly because, like I said, not everybody's the same. So you've got some of those young people where mom or dad has been doing absolutely everything for them until they move out of home. And those kids often do not do very well when they're out on their own and have to take responsibility for everything. There's the ones who've been doing it by themselves for a long time that their parents kind of gave over control many years ago. And often those are kids who are sort of on the verge of burnout and maybe get tipped over by moving away or uh, a class schedule that's a little bit harder to predict. Um, and then you've got ones that are still trying to, to manage that handover of care, that handoff of responsibility, that it's hard to know how to do that. And I think no parent is an expert because most of them only have the one, maybe two kids that they've had with diabetes. So uh, it's not something that we have a lot of experience with as, as individual parents. And again, as physicians, every patient is so different. And we spend, honestly, such a small amount of time of their lives spent in clinic for us to try to get to know how we're going to support each individual as well as we can. Um, a lot of it is trying to make sure that they have the knowledge and the competence to do what they need to do, and then support them in gaining that confidence as they uh, figure out for themselves where they are doing well and what are their strengths and what are the places that maybe need a little bit more help. 
I think that was just an outstanding summaries of the unique characteristics of this population. And these young adults, they're changing every day as well, right? They're growing and they're learning and they're moving to new environments. They might be moving out of their childhood home and living at university independently for the first time. So it's, I think, really a period of incredible change. And it's difficult for us to keep up with that and the different needs that they might have in these different phases. They're probably also a population that has some unique strengths as well. Is there anything about this population that you find really helps them with the diabetes management? Yeah, I would say one thing is a lot of my um, young adults are very tech savvy. So especially if they're pumping, they're on CGM, they've got uh, ways of tracking themselves. Uh, the ones who are into that can have a tremendous amount of information at their fingertips. Um, and some of them are really, really good at distilling what they need to do out of that. And so uh, when they come with questions, if I've helped them to figure out what, how to ask those questions or how to bring that information together to an appointment, those appointments can be really, really valuable. Um, and one of the things that I'll say as that I find very rewarding in this group is when I can bring someone who maybe thought they didn't have that information, teach them how to figure it out for themselves and they can take ownership of it. It's actually a really exciting time of life um, where you don't see that as much with little kids or with or with grown-ups for sure. So I think that was a great introduction into how we can give these young adults autonomy over their care and kind of taking ownership over their care. So let's think about that first. What can we do to help the patients prepare to take on kind of that leadership in their diabetes management and kind of autonomy over their health care and access to the medical system? How can they be prepared? I think there's a lot that we need to do and that a lot of pediatric clinics really are doing or working very hard to do to try to get patients ready for that before they actually leave a pediatric center. So have a teenager make their own appointments. And if they need to reschedule an appointment, that they're the one to call and reschedule as opposed to letting mom call and reschedule. Um, I ask them if they know which pharmacy they use and when their prescriptions are due for renewal so that um, that's something that's their question as opposed to, well, my mom just does that. Um, what do you do if you missed an appointment? So can you call? Who do you call? Uh, is there a charge for a missed appointment? How do you negotiate that if that's if that's a concern? And knowing that a lot of diabetes clinics don't have unlimited availability. You can't just say, well, I can't make it at three o'clock today. Can I come at 10 o'clock tomorrow? So how do you work a school schedule or a work schedule around doctor's appointments? Because we are often not as flexible as they would like us to be. I try to make sure that they've thought before they leave home or before they leave a pediatric clinic who their drug coverage is going to be through once they leave. Um, do they have their own plan? Do they need to get their own plan? How long are they covered under their parents' plan for? Um, and what does it cover so that they have some knowledge, especially if they're moving out of province or out of country? How are they going to get their supplies to themselves so that they're not, again, looking at the very last second for, oh my goodness, I don't have any more pump infusion sets um, and I can't get them <laughs> for the next couple of weeks. There's a certain amount too of preparing for visits. So when I see people at their first introduction to sort of a young adult clinic, I let them know that they're welcome to bring anyone with them they like or no one with them, however they prefer that to happen. But what do I expect for them to have done to prepare for it? Um, whenever they come to me, if they don't wanna bring me a logbook, that's fine. But then don't ask me to download your meter or to download other things. If you're not prepared to talk about blood sugars, then that's not going to be the focus of my visit either. Um, and so really trying to make sure that they know what their responsibility is as an adult. Um, whereas in pediatrics, I think we're 
sometimes guilty of handholding a little bit too much and uh, encouraging folks to rely on the, the medical team to really lead the way. And I really prefer that the young adults lead their, I, I call it driving the bus. They get to decide how those visits go. It is helpful when you're moving away for kids to know how to describe themselves to a new person. So if you're meeting a new doctor or a new diabetes team for the first time, what do you need to know? You need to know how to describe your diabetes regimen. Are you basal bolus? Are you TID? Are you, what kind of insulin are you taking? How long have you had your diabetes? When was your last severe hypo? When was your last DKA? And if you don't know those things, then to be able to get those together, either written down or in some kind of script that you can prepare. And there are some really good um, tools for preparation that I think a lot of pediatric clinics are using to try to help young adults prepare for that uh, transition or that move away uh, to starting off with a new with a new team um, and how to just prepare your questions. So some people are embarrassed when they come in with their list of questions written down. And I actually think it's fantastic. It helps to keep me on track and it helps to keep them on track and make a, a clinic appointment useful. So whoever they were seeing before um, may not be the, the style of person that they're seeing in the future. And it's helpful for them to decide what do they need to get out of appointments. I have a lot of patients who I ask them why they come to see me and they say, because the appointment's booked. And it's not because they thought there was anything they were going to get out of it or that they find it particularly helpful for their own diabetes journey. It's just that that's the thing that you're supposed to do. And so I try to get them to think about what is the utility of coming to see your diabetes educator, because then you're way more likely to have them actually show up if they find it useful to themselves. I think those are fabulous points and just really practical aspects of that transition of care. Um, the other thing that I encounter as an adult endocrinologist when I'm seeing these young adults is safety issues as well, right? They're often out on their own for the first time. And we end up having to talk about a few specifics, things like dealing with hypoglycemia, making sure they have glucagon on hand and that they know how to use it and that they've instructed their roommates, for example, on how to recognize hypoglycemia and how to treat it if needed. Um, I also have a lot of conversations with them around drinking. Many of them don't know that alcohol can cause hypoglycemia. So we spend time talking about that. And the other thing I find is exercise. Um, that's a big one. They might be playing sports or out exercising or going to the gym. And we talk again about avoiding hypoglycemia and adjusting regimens in that context as well. So there's a lot of these safety issues that come up in the transition of care where they're responsible for their own safety now, whereas perhaps a parent played that role before. Um, now, we've talked a lot about what the patient can do. Let's talk a little bit about what the clinic can do and the care providers can do to help that transition go smoothly. Yeah, the guidelines say that we should start preparing kids for transition several years before they're actually transitioning out of clinics. And clinics in different areas have different plans for transition. So some areas might transition folks out at 16, some might be 18, some 20. There may be a transitional clinic in some areas. Uh, and there's really pros and cons to all of those different approaches to, to transition. So I think probably the most mindful thing is that, uh, or the most important thing is that clinics are mindful that they're tailoring what they're doing to that individual patient as much as possible uh, and taking a graduated approach. You can't wait until the last visit and then hope that you're gonna get everything in in that last visit. We all know that people don't um, remember everything that you tell them at every visit. So if it's something that can be repeated over multiple visits and multiple times as people are getting that graduated autonomy, it's uh, definitely more helpful. The other thing I've noticed is that I've got some folks who come to me 
who had diabetes for a really long time. And we kind of assume that they know all about their diabetes, but often if they were diagnosed when they were quite young, they didn't get that initial education. And so they just kind of know that I'm supposed to pee on a stick if I'm high, but they don't really know why. They don't know what ketones are or what to do with them because they haven't had ketones for a long time. And so there's a little bit of going back to basics and reviewing what is your diabetes? What does this mean? Why do we make these adjustments? There's a lot of things that have become reflex or they've been, as you said, parent driven for a long time that patients may not understand why the why behind what they're doing. Uh, and therefore it's really hard for them to take ownership of it. So I think that's one of the big things that is a, a topic of research now is how to revisit some of those basics. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big challenges I would say is when people don't come to appointments, uh, it's not just an adult world that they don't show up to, to those visits. And again, if they haven't come, it's really hard to do a smooth planned transition if they're only attending every uh, once a year or once every other year, because you're usually in crisis mode at that point and trying to deal with the decay that you just had or the severe low that you just had rather than setting someone up for a successful transition. And so those are the folks that actually are probably most important for us to capture that are very difficult for us to get our, our hands on. I think that's wonderful. So we've talked about it really from both perspectives. We talked about the patient perspective and looking at their own autonomy. We've talked about the responsibilities and the goals of the healthcare providers and trying to facilitate this transition and make it go as smoothly as possible. And then Finally, I think we should think about what, what do we do if it's not going well? Are there resources that we can use to help uh, individuals in this transition period? You know, we've used a lot of great resources that have been put online. And I think most of my young adults are very happy with being online. They're more happy than if they have to call someone or go somewhere. They would much rather be able to look things up themselves. Uh, we use the BC Children's uh, website a lot. And Hospital for Sick Kids has some really amazing reviews of things like hypoglycemia, sick day management, exercise, effect on diabetes, alcohol, all those sorts of things. Diabetes Canada, a little plug for, of course, Diabetes Canada, uh, has some really great resources online as well. Uh, and I find the online resources are really helpful. Um, I tend to think that paper resources are not great because people don't want to carry them around, but I can't tell you how many people have said, I've gone back to my green binder and the green binder is what we use in Calgary when you're first diagnosed. It has like these, the super basic stuff, um, but they know that it's the green binder. So if they have a place that is on paper that they know I can look through there and find the stuff that I need in case of emergency, when you don't even really know what to uh, look for, then that's really helpful. Um, and then the other thing is just trying to figure out who should you call? If you need help, who do you call? So can you call your friends? Can you call your parents? Do your friends know you have diabetes? Do they know what to do with diabetes? Um, who is your healthcare team? And if any, if you're not sure who your healthcare team is, can you still reach out to your pediatric team? Most people think that they can't, but we would be so happy to hear from someone who did not successfully transition and help them to make that to re-refer, to figure things out in the meanwhile. There's lots of pharmacists who are diabetes educators and patients may or may not know that. So if you're in a new town, trying to figure out who those people are. And lastly, hopefully you don't need it, but where is the hospital? And when should you go to the hospital? And really, if you're out of other things, I would rather you go to the hospital and have them say, what are you doing here? You're not sick enough to be here than to find out that you've been in DKA at home for a couple of days. 
Thank you so much, Karen. I think that I have learned quite a lot about the challenges of this transition period. And I think I have some tools and some new perspectives that will hopefully help me to facilitate the transition for my patients. Gail, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think we can come back to these patients and help them make this transition a little bit more smoothly? Well, thank you, Karen. That was just great. I've been sitting here taking notes and there's a couple of things, particularly when I'm thinking about Carrie is I love the fact about driving the bus. And I think Carrie's scared to drive her own bus. And so you've said, I love the, the words you're using about uh, adulting is hard and about the graduated autonomy. And, and those are things that I can go back to her with. And I also heard you say very clearly, don't make assumptions that, that they know exactly, they have the basics. I think number one, I need to chat with her, build up her confidence and talk to her about the basics. And she, you also said something very interesting, her unique strength. And I think Carrie's unique strength is the fact that she, she's using her pump and she's used it well for the six years she's been on it. So maybe we should start there. And I love your idea about both of us are gonna prepare for the visit. I'm gonna tell Carrie what I'm going to do. And then I'm gonna chat with Carrie and say, this is what I need you to do. So when we're together, we're on a mutual ground engagement and we can start from there. But Karen, that was great. Thank you for your help. And I'll let you know, okay, how, how it's gonna work out. <laughs> thank you. And the resources are very, very practical. So thank you. Thank you <laughs> so much, Karen and Gail, for joining us here today on Healthcare Huddle. I think this has really been educational and I look forward to speaking again in the future. We can probably learn more about this transition. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast. 